This is Peyton Jones, and you've been listening to Frequency. Hey, what? Sorry, <laughs> wrong number. Hi, it's another episode of Frequency.fm. I was trying to figure out where we were today. I'm Joe Brookhouse, and on the other side of the world is my friend, compatriot, co-host, Dan the Man. Pastor Dan, what's your last name again? Thompson. Thompson. With no, with no P. Right, Thompson with no P. So here we are. We're in another episode of... I believe we're on episode six now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dan, why don't you catch us up? What's been keeping you busy lately? Oh, man. Busyness. It's been crazy busy here. Now, if you've listened long enough, you know I live on an island uh, called Prince Edward Island. And it's beautiful. Uh, but the population doubles in the summertime. So it gets a little bit busy here. Uh, but we do love living here. It's beautiful. And uh, we're at a great church. And... Uh, Actually, we just finished a, a huge conference. Um, I'm involved in the Gospel Coalition and locally. It's a local chapter. And we just finished a big conference here and uh, had speakers and uh, tons of pastors and ministry leaders here. So uh, I've been involved in the music and the planning and things behind the scenes. So a little distracted from our podcast, but we are back and uh, getting back in the swing of things. How are you, Joe? I'm doing pretty good. I feel like uh, after getting things started at uh, the new church as a worship leader there, that things are finally starting to normalize and um, excited to be back in the swing of things. Um, Not only um, do we have uh, the interview today, but um, I just uh, interviewed a couple of publicists working for David C. Cook today to talk about their perspective on supporting artists and then we've got an uh, interview coming up um, next week with Krista Wells, who probably most famously wrote the song Held for Natalie Grant. Yeah, and, right. um, and doesn't she have a hit right now with Plum? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's on the radio making a lot of traction. I actually forget the title of the song right now. Um, how Many Times, I think it's called. Yeah, How Many Times. Yeah, that's right. Um, it's a great song. I didn't know that she was involved in the song. I just assume when an artist puts out a song, it's them. But apparently not. So, but uh, she has a lot of great music out there. So I look forward to that. Yeah, we also have we also have a lot of other interviews. I know I'm talking to a number of artists in Canada because I have exposure to that being from here. Uh, that I want everyone to hear from. Uh, one is Amy Savin. Uh, another is Jake Bertrand. Uh, these are all independent artists. And uh, there's a band called Sky Terminal that were yeah. no- nominated for a Juno. And actually, just today, I, I noticed that their music was used by Harley Davidson, believe it or not. An actual, really? An actual promo video, four and a half minutes long, for Harley Davidson, and they used this Christian band's music. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty remarkable, man. Yeah, so there's lots of, lots of music stuff happening, and hopefully we, can, uh, we get a chance to talk to artists, and we're bridging the gap over into the author realm, and I think that's fantastic. 
Yeah, well, our last interview was Travis Thrasher, and I really enjoyed that. And uh, this time we're talking to uh, a guy named uh, Peyton Jones who wrote a book uh, called Church Zero, mm-hmm. which actually I just finished reading. It took me a, uh, I'm not a slow reader, but I am busy, and um, I enjoyed that. It's uh, very much focused on returning the uh, the church to a um, an acts of the apostles kind of approach in terms of spreading spreading the word. Yeah, and I, actually, as a pastor, we, we read a lot, and uh, the pastors here, we have an, a number of them, um, and we're all kind of bantering back and forth between books, and uh, um, I'm sharing this one right now with another pastor, and I can't wait to get it back so I can read through it. Um, I like the, it says it's a punk rock approach to the pressing issue of gaining ground as rapidly as the early church. So I like that title, and uh, it, it just looks like it's... Um, Probably a lot of hipster words in there. I don't know. I haven't read the book yet, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm going to have to consider myself pretty hip to read through it. But I I understand the premise behind it, so I'm looking forward to it. And he's got really cool hair, or lack thereof. He's he's bald, but he looks really cool on his picture. Sorry, I'm just looking at the picture online here, Joe. <laughs> That's all right. So when people are listening to this, uh, we'll make sure that uh, if you go out on the site, you'll see the picture we're referring to. He's... He's, uh, this is a cool dude, um, just very entertaining to talk to the guy. He, uh, he and I were actually speaking. Um, uh, we, we spoke on the phone. Um, we had a little struggle initially to get kind of connected, but uh, once we did, um, it was great. He was in the hospital um, there. Uh, he's, he and his wife were adopting a baby girl, and she was in the NICU mm, yeah. um, for... Um, uh, at that point, because she was a preemie, he was born uh, weighing only two pounds. Hmm. So he was very generous to speak with us and um, had a, a nice, long, passionate conversation on his, his end about um, about what Church Zero is about, about church planning, um, and really, and he brings it around to talking about where artists fit in to that mix and how he sees that they have a they have a role to play. Um, so he really brings things around uh, relevant for all folks in this conversation. Yeah, and he's also worked um, on his bio. It says he's worked as a tent maker, uh, a firefighter, factory worker, a psychiatric nurse. I mean, does that play out in the interview? <laughs> you know, it doesn't. And uh, I wish it did. You know, I found that as I was going back and, and editing the interview, uh, that there were like, 20 other questions that I wanted to ask as I kind of got deeper into things. But that's just the nature of it. I mean, some of the, the people are so cool. They have so many things going on that, I mean, really, you, you wish that you had an afternoon. But then how do you get that in, sandwiched into an interview that anybody uh, wants to listen to? Yeah, so. yeah, that makes sense. But I'm looking forward to this interview, Joe. So why don't we go right to it? And as great as it is that we can talk together, I'm sure people want to hear from Peyton Jones. So why don't we listen to the interview now with Joe Brookhouse and Peyton Jones. This is Joe Brookhouse, and today we're happy to have as our guest, author Peyton Jones. And we're going to talk about his recently released book, Church Zero. So welcome to the show, sir. Hey, thanks for having me, Joe. Just to kind of get things started, you know, your book, Church Zero, came out, I think it was May 1st. Before we dig in there, because I could spend hours on that, give us a, maybe you can give us an elevator introduction to who Peyton Jones is. Sure. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, people often ask what I do, and I, I used to spend a long time kind of telling them, 
well, you know, boom, 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 and I would start off, and they would just get this glazed over look, and I learned to start saying, okay, you know what Paul did in the book of Acts? That's what I do. I plant churches, I preach the gospel, I raise up leadership, and once a church can stand on its own, I get the heck out of Dodge. So I'm what's known as a serial church planter. If I plant once, I'm going to strike again. <laughs> so when you use the word serial, I mean, okay, I'll be honest, the first thing that pops in my head is serial killer <laughs> and Dexter. So um, <laughs> so we're, we're using well, serial know, in the sense that one ends and you go right to the next one. Yeah, you know, you could profile me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act very similarly wherever I go with a little added twist. But, you know, I used to tell people I was a ninja planner because that sounds cool to tell people you're a ninja. So, you know, basically <laughs> I, I – I, I basically strike out of the heart of darkness, you know, do my quick strike, boom, and steal back off into the shadows once my church is planted. And, you know, it's it's better than saying you're a serial planner because you get to use the word ninja. So, you know, I, I'll go by either. If you want to call me Ninja Peyton, I'll accept it. Your your Twitter is a, is a Peyton Jones punk. So is the punk yeah. a, a reference to music, the fact that you are a punk or something else? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, I think most church planners don't see themselves as church planners. You know, I'm an author. I didn't see myself as an author. Uh, most musicians, yeah. artists, you know, it, it, there's this whole thing about when you actually become validated. And so we were in Europe, and we started planning churches, and basically we called it New Breed. There was a new breed of church being planted, and we just basically, you know, somebody asked us, who are you? You know, why should we listen to you? What? You know, who are you guys coming out of the woodworks here planting churches? And me and my co-founder, I think he another author, we just said, two punks with a logo. And so that kind of stuck. And over time now, we just learned to kind of just not take ourselves too seriously, take the work we're doing very seriously. Yeah, as far as anyone's concerned, we're a couple of punks. It's a bit of an attitude. Uh, it, it is the music, too. And I, I do have to say that the book actually came out on April 1st. Yeah, it's it's the anniversary of – I wouldn't point it out except the fact, Joe, it's the anniversary of Doc Martens. And, yeah, I you know, I was in the funk as well. So, um, And it is an attitude, you know. It's kind of an attitude that uh, that's a lot of what Church Zero has to do with. They, they actually call the book um, The Reform Pastor with Doc Martens on. Reform Pastor was a book written by Richard Baxter, uh, one of the old English Puritans, and he just challenged the whole system. And it became a book – that every pastor read, it's dropped out of popularity, not surprisingly. If you look at the content, anything that questions the system is kind of seen as, as punk rock. And so he was a punk rock guy. He didn't have Doc Martens on, but he had buckles on his shoes. So, uh, you know, a lot of people would rather listen to a guy who lives in 1600s, wears buckles on his shoes, and then, you know, he's got a little bit of street cred. I wear Doc Martens, and uh, I'm saying many of the similar things. And one of the things that I'm asking the church to do is to look at itself and say, hey, is there a disconnect between the book of Acts and where we're at now? And if so, why? The sense that I get, and it's my experience as well, is it almost seems like the church has an innate tendency to normalize to the insular and that occasionally we need to come in and, and provoke the church and shake it up. And it feels like very much the tone of your book is is about let's shake let's shake things up the way that they had to shake them shake it up in the uh, in the acts. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, through, throughout the centuries, we have these kind of shakedowns that happen in the church where, uh, like you know, Martin Luther, you know, he uh, 
he challenged things doctrinally. And then, you know, William Carey comes along in the 1700s, the, the father of modern missions, and and he challenges the church, uh, you know, with, with their practice and says, are, are we just literally going to let the world go to hell? Or are we going to get out there? And so uh, Church Zero kind of, it, it hits a little bit about what we believe and what we believe the mission of the church is. And our structure, actually, this thing, this machine, this construct we've built um, doesn't actually lend itself to mission. And so part of what it's doing is it's looking at, like you said, uh, that innate tendency to um, kind of be more insular. And it's saying, look, in the first century, these guys were focused outward. Um, they were – Christianity was a missionary uh, force to be reckoned with. You know, one thing you couldn't do in the first century, uh, you, could, you, you couldn't ignore the, the first century church. They were just such a, a powerful uh, force in the world that they, they were silently starting a revolution. And, you know, the church, we've lost that. We have become the establishment. We have stopped being the counterculture movement that Jesus started. And 2,000 years on, we're still nowhere near as radical as Jesus was. And one of the things that uh, the Archbishop Bishop of Canterbury in England once said is he said, anywhere the Apostle Paul went, he caused a riot. Anywhere I go, they throw me a tea party in my honor. And, and you know what? That comes back to, really back to that word, punk. You, you have to step out in a place where there's a little danger and where you're, you're challenging the culture. Otherwise, people aren't going to notice, uh, and you begin just serving yourself. I guess you're 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 very safe, and it feels like the in the way that you're approaching things in the book that you're you are you're being intentionally provocative in places. In fact, I mean, in the first section of that book, you're talking about how the the, the church leaders you know that we revere. At this point, we probably wouldn't even allow in our church as a leader, maybe not even as a congregant. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, most that, that's such a great observation. I, I think that's one of my favorite things, you know, where Jesus said to the to the Pharisees, look, you, you build monuments to the honor of the prophets, but if they were here today, you'd stone them. And I think, you know, Martin Luther, John Wesley, who would want those guys in their church? J. Hudson Taylor, a guy dressing in Chinese clothes saying, hey, i got to go reach the Chinese. I'm going to eat Chinese food and live in poverty. And while he's still in England, nobody wanted these guys around. And yet they were the catalysts. They were the people that actually drove the church forward. And so Church Zero is kind of a call. It's a a catalytic call to whatever you want to call it, revolution, reformation, those are strong words, I know, and it makes people nervous because we're attached to the establishment. And I need to kind of come back and, and just kind of validate something here. I'm not anti-establishment if the establishment is what it's meant to be. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I've been in ministry for 20 years, started off in a, in a mega church um, years ago, got ordained, um, have been to seminary, uh, have an MA in pastoral theology, and, you know, ended up uh, going on the mission field for 12 years and uh, have written for the Evangelical Magazine in the U.K. for five years, served as an editor. So I've done my time. It's not like, you know, I'm kind of this guy that's just, hey, you know, burn it down, man, burn it down. It, it's more right. that I love the church and I'm passionate about uh, what Christ left us here to do. And I just think that the church is lost. I think we are so confused. And so people tend to pick up Church Zero and they say, 
man, you know what? Like, I felt this for years, and I've not known how to express it. Or, you know, I'm, I'm so glad someone finally expressed my heart to me, you know, what I've been feeling. So that's a response that we're getting a lot with Church Zero. I think sometimes we almost need permission to respond uh, and to acknowledge that we're not necessarily comfortable with how we've become complacent, that we want somebody to be a leader to step out and to kind of reestablish uh, the outside boundaries so that we can push things more toward um, being dynamic as a church versus state. Absolutely. I mean, I think anywhere that you have someone who grabs hold of, of the gospel or, you know, Jesus and says, hey, <laughs> we're, we're not living this stuff. Heads turn, people say, who do you think you are? Why are you saying this? Um, you know, this guy's a troublemaker. You get kind of kind of uh, sidelined a bit. And I can remember when I wrote Church Sir, I felt like the Lord asked me, do you, do you, okay, you're going to write this book. Do you want to be liked or do you want to be used? I remember thinking to myself, uh, gosh, you know, it's been a long time since I've had both. I'm sure like both. And I, I just sensed like I had a choice. I can either write what needs to be said or not write at all. And so to, to me, I remember my agent got in. He's a, he's a Presbyterian. He's a Reformed guy. He's, you know, very conservative. And, and he read it and he said, this thing's prophetic. He said that... This book is, is like a prophetic voice right now to the church to kind of wake up. And I think throughout, uh, you know, the, the church, you, you have the epistles written where Paul is saying things like, hey, you've lost your way, Galatians, or hey, guys, you're off track here. And, you know, even Jesus coming in the book of Revelation where he, he says in the letters to the seven churches, hey, chapter two and three, guys, this is not right. You've, you've lost your way. So, yes, you do get labeled as a rebel rouser. And yet, if you go back and you look at all of the reformers that have existed throughout history, one thing that you can link them all together with is, number one, a love for God, and number two, a love for his, his church. What's excellent about that is you've got somebody who is coming from a, a conservative background. And even then, I spent time in the Presbyterian church myself, uh, even conservative <laughs> in terms of how... <laughs> I grew up Catholic and then ended up Presbyterian, and now I'm non-denominational. So I'm um, kind of continuing the diffusive process of <laughs> going someplace where there's absolutely no structure whatsoever. Their, their worship is so structured in the Presbyterian Church and the Catholic Church yeah. that it's interesting that you've got somebody who's reading that and getting it. I think that's a great validation of your message that they recognize, man, we we do need to make this change. I spent. Um you know, three years uh, in Lloyd Jones's, Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones's church in Wales, and they were they were a Presbyterian. They left the denomination, but they still function as a Presbyterian church because they were evangelical, and that's that's the background that I come from, a solid, solid evangelical. And some of what I challenge, um, you know, I challenge some of the the structure of the church. Like, for example, kind of going on what we're talking about. Um, we have basically taken the five roles of Ephesians 4, and we've said that most of them don't exist anymore. So when we're talking about conservatives, and that list of apostle, prophet, uh, shepherd, uh, evangelist, and teacher, basically what we've done is we've taken the shepherd and teacher and said, well, those exist. 
Um, but those other three guys, you know, we those guys aren't around anymore. And one of the things I argue in Church Zero is that the word apostle uh, just simply means missionary, sent out one literally in the Greek. So you had guys like Paul and his 32 guys networked throughout the New Testament where Paul just sent them all over. Hey, so-and-so, come here. And he moves them across this geographic map, Asia Minor, Achaia, Asia, uh, and eventually to Rome and to Spain. And he's moving these guys all over the place, and they're mobile. They're sent out ones. They're not guys trying to push uh, a pencil for Jesus and change the world from behind a desk. They're guys that are mobile. They're radical. They're out there living as missionaries. They're expanding the border of the kingdom. And one of the things I argue from Church Zero is that's the role of the church planner. That's why we have these guys coming out. They, they're they not happy just sitting in an office or a cubicle. They're kind of like, uh, you know, on, on Matrix. You know, they're Mr. Anderson, and they just don't fit there. Really what they are deep inside is Neo, and they need, they need to go kick some butt in the subway. And so it's kind of about freeing these guys up and letting them go out and do what God's called them to do. It sounds like these people are, are, are naturally restless um, when things are not moving, when there's inertia, and that they need to go out and create some momentum. Uh, I, I almost think of like a shark, you know, the, the idea that they have to move or they die kind of thing, that the true apostles are people that are, are moving because they have to move. Absolutely. You know, they, 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 they get, it's like I tell people, I say, you know, because I'm a serial planner, what happens is I'm wired for the short term. So I get there and my gifts wax really strong. All the like crazy stuff, like the reaching addicts and prostitutes. And I'm in inner city Long Beach right now. And, you know, we see gays and lesbians turn to Christ. We see people get, you know, uh, released from a 25 year crack addiction to, you know, you name it. I mean, you know, ex-cons completely turning their lives around. Um, you see, I don't know if your your listening audience thinks about this, but, uh, you know, I'm a psych nurse, so I know psychiatric illnesses, and, um, you know, it's my background. And uh, But yeah. I've, I've been I've exorcisms in the last two years in inner city Long Beach. And so, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you you find these guys where, Kind of like Indiana Jones, you know, they're not going to be content being Dr. Jones in a Harvard classroom just giving lectures to students. They need to be out there raiding temples. And, and what I'm finding is when people are reading Church Zero, they're getting a theology to match this drive and this passion that they've had deep in their hearts where they're going, that's me. You know, I, I sit in church and I'm frustrated because I feel like there's more, like there's more I should be doing. It's not that I'm sitting back and judging other people. It's that I'm, I'm climbing out of my skin from Sunday to Sunday. I'm, I'm ready to tear the walls down. I, I just feel like there's got to be more. And that's kind of an apostle. When I get a church uh, planner coming to me, and when I say apostle, just, Again, just to clarify, we're not talking a guy with Popat. That's a theologically loaded uh, word. It's got lots of baggage with it. But just simply using it like Wayne Grudem in a systematic theology defines it. He says, if by that we only mean missionaries, all could accept that term. And so I just use the term because it's the term that the New Testament uses, a sent out one. There's there's no other word that's going to express better uh, a guy like uh, Whitfield or Wesley um, these guys who weren't pastors, Luther, none of these guys were pastors. What were they? They were catalysts. So when a catalyst sits in church on a Sunday morning, he gets restless deep inside because he feels, I need to be out there 
doing something, impacting, pushing the borders out, pushing the boundaries out. And it's not just the apostles as you're addressing the other of those five roles. I remember specifically talking about teachers and how, you know, in a church of (laughs) 10,000 congregants, you've got 200, you know, teachers who are just, you know, crawling out of their skin because they're not, you know, because they're not teaching. Absolutely. You know, and, and we do this. It's funny because we have these five roles and we've switched some of the titles. So, for example, we have the term pastor, and I call it in the book uh, pastor-only model. So you've got a pastor who is kind of like the CEO or the boss of the organization, but really what he is biblically, according to Ephesians 4, is a teacher because he stands up week after week and he delivers a sermon. He teaches he spends most of his time teaching, sees that as his greatest calling. And, you know, those guys are teachers, but we call them pastors, which equal shepherd. So where are the shepherds at? Well, a shepherd would be a guy who he's really, really good with people. And every once in a while you see a shepherd who gets uh, into a position uh, of preaching, you know, the teaching elder, whatever you want to call it. And he's in the pulpit week by week, and everyone everyone says, yeah, you know that guy, he's He's not a very good teacher, our pastor, but he sure is great with people. It's a shame he's not a better preacher. And what's happened is the shepherd uh, has, has ended up in the teaching role, and he doesn't belong there. But the teacher is, like Spurgeon said, at home amongst the books, but it's see when it comes to men. And so I've got guys who, you know, they, 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 they've got shepherd hearts, but they'll gravitate towards, like, drug and alcohol ministry or focus in the family type stuff. Um, they'll be the guys that go out and they just sit down and disciple people. You know, they've got time to hear everybody's problems, and the church needs that. And what we've done is we've kind of made this impossible job description, put the title pastor over it, and tried to fit five people into that one role. And Jesus was smarter than us. He's always smarter than us. He basically kicked down, Paul says, when he ascended on high, uh, he kicked down these five roles, gave gifts to men, uh, the, uh, and he lists off the five, and he says, to equip the saints. So we, you know, to do the work of the ministry. So we all need these five roles uh, pulling on us at all times. I need an evangelist who pulls my butt out of the chair watching cartoons to go evangelize. I need an apostle who challenges me to rethink everything and to get out to the mission frontier. I need a shepherd who's ministering into my life in that way. I need a teacher who's strengthening my understanding and grasp on God's word. I need a, a prophet who, you know, maybe a guy like you, you mentioned some musicians you have. Uh, musicians just click with that role because they can be a voice to a generation. So somebody who's speaking, I would say that Francis Chan, um, that guy speaks and you just hear God. You know, there are people oh, who just think that is the voice. Walter Martin, Keith Green, I mean, you could just go through and, and name off these guys. A.W. Tozer, where you think, where did you get this insight from? Who, who are you? Where did you come from? Where, where have you got this uncanny ability to just put your finger on the pulse of the Holy Spirit? And so I would say these roles are all there. We just call them by different names. I think the one that resonated with me the most, and I'm going to impose on you here to, to share with the audience, is where you were describing your experience with the the sheet that was on its side. Because um, <laughs> it's very colorful, but to me that was a fantastic illustration where you were differentiating between the role of the teacher and the role of the pastor and how we have combined those and kind of ignored the others. Is that something you feel comfortable sharing? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and it goes back to what, what what I was saying earlier that if if we've only allowed the shepherd and teacher role, uh, those are the roles that are the conservative roles. The apostle, prophet, and evangelist role; those are the radical roles. And God's tipped the scale so that basically those those five roles you have three. Uh, that are radical. So God's kind of telling us, look, you need these conservative roles. So, you know, look after people's feelings and, you know, beef them up in the scripture and in their knowledge and understanding of how it all clicks together. But I'm going to give a ratio of, you know, three and five of these roles ministering you are going to be radical people. And what the church has done today is just literally dissected the radicalness out of its setup. So that now conservatives are running the show. And that goes back to the problem we were talking earlier. Well, if we're looking at those two conservative roles under a microscope, like you pointed out that, you know, we confuse the two of them, um, I, I give that story about the sheep on its side that when, when I lived in Wales, and by the way, Wales is, uh, you know, it's uh, a sandwich in between Ireland and England, separated by the Irish Sea, um, the sheep outnumber people three to one. So here. You really, you know, there's a lot of sheep, so you just walk around, and you're eventually going to encounter sheep somewhere along the line. So my wife and I were walking once, and there was a sheep who had fallen over, and sheep get matted down by the rain. It rains every day. That's why it's so green. And if they stay on their side, they're not designed to lay down and breathe. So eventually, uh, they'll they'll suffocate. And these things are nasty. I mean, people think sheep are woolly cuties, and they're just not. They're just disgusting. they got feces all over them. They usually have disease on part of their, their, their wool. And so, you know, we're just watching. We went and grabbed a farmer, and a farmer said, hey, you know what? That's, that's what happens. That's why you need a shepherd. Um, you can't leave sheep alone. They're not just like organic lawnmowers. You just put them in a field and let them mow it and then put them in the next field. They get into all kinds of trouble all the time, and the shepherd has to constantly be picking them up. And we know this with our people. You know, you can have a guy in church. He looks great. He seems cool. You just think he'll just buzz on as normal. And, you know, he's destroying his marriage with Internet porn. The mom is, while everybody's at work and the kids are sleeping, she's gambling away the entire family savings. I mean, we're just like that falling down. And so a shepherd is necessary because – a one-hour sermon from week to week is not going to do the trick. It's not going to bring uh, transformation or life change. Someone recently used a quote that I wish I could have stolen from him before I wrote Church Zero, and that was that uh, life change does not happen in rows. It happens in circles. Um, all of the one another's, all of these ways we're meant to minister one another, that's what the shepherd brings out in people, and that's what he does. He models it. I thought that was something that I immediately highlighting and sharing with my pastor because he's very much a uh, shepherd. You know, he's a teacher, but yeah. he's a shepherd. You know, it's a small church, and so you get those the consolidation of those roles even more in that, making sure <laughs> that that he saw that and and could see first of all that I see him being in the people and shaving that back hair off of uh, the wool off the back of the sheep to avoid the <laughs> all the, the disease and stuff. And people need to read the books. They, they really get the full description of this because I think it's oh, remarkable. Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's that's quite a graphic uh, picture. I mean, I could show that if you want. But, yeah, that, that, part's, that part's pretty graphic. That's a, that's a, you don't want to read that when you're eating your lunch. 
<laughs> no, no, let's leave that for people to read when they pick up the book. I don't want to, you know, we got to leave. I, I don't want to get, you know, every, all, all the fun stuff, you know, because they need to learn about the A-team if they don't already know who the A-team is and the Matrix. The A-team, yeah, indeed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it was so funny because, you know, I think uh, one of the things about the, the book that has been refreshing, at least to our generation, is that, uh, you know, it's got it's naming all the big guys that we all know, you know, all of the you know, the Spurgeons, the Lloyd-Joneses, the, you know, all the theologians. But it also is kind of lacing in there a uh, little bit of Voltron, a little bit of He-Man, you know, a little bit of 80s pop culture. And, and I don't explain it in the book, why I put all that in there. Part of it is that was one of my questions. A, I, yeah. yeah, well, you know, part, part of it is because it's my sense of humor. Um, and, and I've also been on the front lines of, of Europe for 12 years where – I can't just talk to people about the Bible and have them understand. Uh, I, I had to illustrate everything. The Matrix became like the greatest tool in 99 when I got there and that movie came out. I was so thankful. It saved me so much time being able to explain things because you have to illustrate everything to an unchurched, postmodern, post-Christian society because they don't get spiritual truth. So you have to relate it to what they do now. And then you see the light bulb kind of click and turn on. So that's what I was doing. But... Um, there was a little bit of a, you know, I've got a second book coming out um, that is all about how do you plan a church like that. And yeah. so that one uses all like uh, Band of Brothers, uh, Saving Private Ryan, so it's all the, the paratrooper imagery. But um, in that book, I strategically use 80s pop cultural references to kind of say, hey, 20, 30 years ago, when the 80s was going, building mega churches, that, that was like the goal and that was the thing. And it worked. It's not going to work anymore. So what I'm basically saying, um, I actually make this statement that the church is playing an eight-track tape to an iTunes world. That basically uh, we're still yeah. stuck in the 80s and 90s. And that was a little bit of a literary device to illustrate that. Some people get it. A lot of people just think, man, that dude watched way too many cartoons. Okay, so I'm, uh, I'm going to be uh, 43 on uh, a week from today. No, a week from Monday. But anyway, so Happy I mean, birthday. I, these, these, hey, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah. But, uh, have you had your birthday yet this year, by the way? I just turned 40 a couple, uh, couple of weeks ago. Okay. Cause I knew we had a milestone this year. So what, um, I, congratulations on that and, uh, Thank my you. condolences. Um, so your cultural <laughs> references really resonated with me as I was going through that. But when, um, when I got my copy of the book, uh, you know, I'm, I'm flipping through, you know, before I dig in deep to get kind of a sense of what the overall tone approach of the book. And I came across uh, that bit about the the iTunes world and the um, and the eight uh, track tape. And you know, I had this and like stopped my wife and I'm like, let me read this to you. Does this sound like anything you've heard before? And it's just, uh, you know, and she's like, well, yeah, you know, that's half the churches that we have encountered that are still working under a paradigm that's, you know, decades old and they haven't figured out how to shift. They, they have, you know, they're stuck in place and they, they need a little jolt to realize, hey, you know, the, the way that we are acting as a church today is not what we're called to act as a church. Yeah. So that, that something that really resonated. I think it's a great, a great device that you used in the book. Yeah, and, you know, I appreciate that. You know, it, it it's funny because it goes back to that apostolic thing where 
you know, a guy who's got an apostolic calling, he is called to go out. He's more at home, and I, I lay this out in what, what an apostolic guy looks like. He's more at home with non-believers because that's where he's going to spend most of his time. That's where he's called to. He's actually meant not to be hanging out with Christians, eating brownies and cookies and drinking coffee all the time. He's actually meant to be out there, and he's wired for that. And you see that with the Apostle Paul where he takes a few hapless souls with him, and then he just treks all over Asia Minor until he plants a church in every major city there. And, you know, Paul was more at home in the marketplace. And so he's out there. Uh, always interacting with people. And so you will always find that the, the church needs that apostolic role. If you divorce the church from the role of the apostolic leader, then you're going to lose that cultural relevance. And, of course, because a church, I argue, has done that, we've lost our ability to be relevant. Um, just to quote something, it's not in the book, and it, everyone's going to think it's horribly carnal, but uh, in, in Anne Rice's book, The Interview with the Vampire, um, she yeah. brings up, because I read, I'm an omnivore, I read everything, um, like her, yeah. I read it. And so uh, she she brings out the point that uh, Louis, the character in the book, who is the last to be bitten by Lassat, all these vampires are ancient, they're 400, 500 years old. And whereas uh, Louis in the book, uh, the, the thing that makes him beautiful and all of the, the vampires recognize it, you know, they're all relics of the past, but when they look at him, they say that somehow he's been able to maintain his humanity. And I would say, and I know your audience is going to connect with this, because they're artists, musicians, poets, um, they, they've retained their humanity. Um, we actually call those studies the humanities. Um, it's part of what makes us human. And so Christians yeah. who are able to retain their humanity, humanity will be culturally relevant. I, I realized years ago, and I may, I may even say this in Church Zero, but um, I realized if I was ever going to change uh, the world, it wasn't going to be by preaching to people. It was going to be by uh, preaching to the artists, the filmmakers, the authors, uh, the magazine editors. Those are the guys that will change culture. They will see that, and I see it all the time. I see C.S. Lewis popping in the stuff. I see people writing things that I think, okay, you know, you're, you've got an agenda there. You're writing something. Somebody, some preacher somewhere has gotten a hold of you and put a fire in you, but you're using your gift to get that out, and you are that's an apostolic calling. It's it, yeah. that an apostolic leader is pulled on them. As you've been describing that, I, I think I see more and more how um, those five roles really exhibit themselves in different in different artists that I know, um, yeah. where you know I do see you know, some poets that we've interviewed recently who do um, secular poetry slams. You know they're going into like inner cities and they're participating in not Christian poetry slams, but you know they're bringing their um, Christian themed poetry um, and delivering it to an audience that doesn't necessarily want it, um, but they appreciate. The effort they appreciate the poetry. I mean, and so they're, I mean, they're they're being apostles when they're when they're going out and doing that. But also, I, you know, I think of like Paul Balash and some other people who write worship music, and they're very um, uh, shepherd-like. That actually helps as I'm considering artists and their different roles. That it's not all you know. That there's a, a place for each of them within those five roles. So that's you just made that connection for me during this call. So that's pretty cool for me. Oh, I'm not cool. that right. 
<laughs> Nor am I. I mean, you know, and, and Church Zero is really kind of the foundation, and you can build off of it. That's why it begs a second book. Here's a little secret I'll tell you, Joe. It was actually two books when I wrote it. Um, I wrote 900 pages, and my agent wow. said to okay. me, hey, you know, uh, pardon my being very blunt, but who in the heck are you that anyone would read a tome by you of 900 pages on church plant? Yeah. And the, what, what he said is he says, you have this prophetic manifesto kicking out of this book on church planning. He said, that's a book that needs to be written. And it is. It is a manifesto. It's basically, uh, to use that phrase, it is meant to start a revolution. Because he asked me point blank, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, start a revolution. All revolutionaries start revolutions because they love their country. Um, I love the church, and I want to see it be all that it can be. I want to see it be what God designed it to be. And what I argue is that God left us a design, a blueprint for doing what we're supposed to do that we've ignored. And I'm hoping that kind of like the church as it wandered in the dark ages until it discovered uh, justification by faith in Martin Luther, um, I'm hoping that the church will rediscover maybe these lost doctrines. I use the illustration of the Ark of the Covenant, you know, that it will it will delve into the well of souls and kind of retrieve this Ark of the Covenant that we can take back out into the battle and be what we were called to be, be this dangerous dynamic force out there in the world. And uh, one that, that, that you know, I'm reading through uh, right now, like Joshua, where everybody's afraid because, you know, kind of like revival, uh, just like they were afraid of the armies of Israel, in revival, they used to call churches soul traps. And those are in the days where you had like Whitfield and Wesley and guys anywhere they went, people were converted because the church had this dangerous frontline missionary edge to it. And when it gets that back, look out. When you get around somebody who has that that talent or, or, or that just kind of innate ability to engage people, you do see the the eyes light up with people where they they the, the connection is made, and it's not simply a question. Uh, and I used to get this on my way to tables, you know, 20 years ago. People would say, you know, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, and it's like, okay, I know you rehearsed that line. And the second <laughs> thing is, is that you're not connecting with me on a level that means anything to me. And so you immediately make me defensive. Where if you engage me in my culture, you were talking about Interview with a Vampire, you know, which is, you know, these are books that I consumed as well. If you can engage me on that level, then I know that you are not so ingrained in your own um, subculture that you can have an intelligent conversation with me about what's going on in my world, and then you can make that connection for me. I think that's something that we're missing. I think you make that point pretty well in the book. Yeah, thank you. You know, it's uh, it's something that, as as the book was written, you know, there were times where I just felt, you know, kind of in awe, like, wow, Lord, you know. Uh, I know this definitely isn't like the addition to the Bible or anything, but kind of felt out there. And uh, kind of like you do when you're preaching a sermon. Sometimes you think, as you said earlier, I'm not that smart. And uh, this, there's some insight here that, uh, you know, I can't take credit. So I hope that's not mistaken as some type of arrogance or, um, hey, you know, boom, boom, boom. But um, really, I just, I, I felt like this is a message. This isn't my message. This is something that uh, needs to be said. Uh, all the stupidity in it, I'll take full credit for that. <laughs> that's all me. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I, you know, I really appreciate how um, really you're unapologetic in the book. You're very direct uh, in, in, in your approach. And I think that makes some people uncomfortable 
And I think that's good. I, I fear that we, uh, I, I, I see it in myself as I become more involved in the church community and some things that I find myself getting uncomfortable on behalf of other people. I hear somebody say something yeah. a certain way and I go, ooh, that's going to offend somebody. And that, um, you're not saying anything to be offensive, but you are saying things in such a way that says, um, there's nothing wrong with what I'm saying and you need to kind of get out of your safe place. It's okay to be dangerous. Uh, I, I think that your delivery really supports the point you're trying to make. I had to catch myself a number of times in the book from going, ooh, somebody might not like that to, okay, well, who cares? <laughs> Well, that's it. And I think I actually say at one point, I say, you know, this is committing ministerial suicide. But, uh, you know, there goes what, what little shred of reputation I had was something I said. But, but it, it literally <laughs> meant to kind of, yeah, exactly what you said. I, I, I pack it with scripture. That was one thing I knew. If people don't listen to me, people that are faithful to God's word, they, they need to see it with scripture. They can't just listen to some who comes up and says, hey, this is what I think, and you should listen to me because I think it. Um, it was more, hey, yeah. this is, check it, just see if it, see if what I'm saying is true. See if maybe we've been reading the book of Acts and the entire New Testament through our lens of 21st century uh, middle-class American society. And if we've done that, you know, Dave Platt did that with Radical. Francis Chan did that with Crazy Love. And this is kind of like, you know, radical and crazy love meet, uh, you know, a book on the church and, uh, you know, just blend it all together and see what happens. But, you know, maybe throw some Voltron and He-Man and Star Wars in there, too. Yeah, I, no, I wasn't a Voltron guy, but uh, I was a G.I. Joe, Transformers, all that real high-quality stuff. Yeah, well, you know, knowing's half the battle. I'd argue that for church, too. Knowing's half the battle. That's why I wrote the book. Yeah, yeah. Yo, Joe. <laughs> well, um, let me ask you a couple other questions. I can't, I'm not even sure how long I've kept you on the phone, but I, I interviewed uh, Travis Thrasher um, for our, our show uh, about a month ago, and uh, it was just for the Superman movie, Man of Steel was coming out. And the question that I asked him was DC versus Marvel. Now, um, I don't know if you're a comic book guy or not, but what's your take on that debate? You know, I'm kind of a freak on this. I'm actually a comic cartoon guy, so I don't read the comic books, but uh, unless there's like a couple of them are literary masterpieces, Frank Miller's uh, Dark Knight Returns, those kind of, I'll read those, but um, graphic novel form. But, you know, it's the cartoons, man. The old uh, film noir Batman they did back in the 90s was genius. That was a groundbreaking work of animation. I'm a little bit of a fan of animation, but uh, I'm a DC guy all the way, man. I, I I I like Marvel. I appreciate the Hulk, Iron Man, the Avengers. I get it. It's great stuff. Um, the, the the big tragedy of uh, modern times is that DC has not been able to make a decent movie. So Superman, I'll give them. They did really good, and they came up a bit on that one. Um, the, the Batman ones were good too. You know, they were good. I I can't argue, but. Uh, Marvel is kicking DC's butt in the movie department, but I still got to say, for iconic characters, you're never going to top Superman or Batman. Just never. But, uh, you know, I saw a motivational picture recently, and it said, uh, you know, if, if, if there's ever the choice to be Batman, be Batman. You got to be Batman. I'm Batman. Always. Church planting and, and just being bold and out there. I mean, here's a guy with a mission who is just 
knows what it is and is unrelenting in making sure that's that's addressed. So if I could only be that bold, that you know, show that level of courage, bravery. <laughs> Absolutely, he's consumed, he's obsessed, and I think that uh, Batman's kind of a model of you know how a missionary should be. How a you know, there's like a, a no compromise element to it. There's a you know, hey, this is my city, you know, and um, there's an owning that goes on and a, and a passion. He won't sleep. He won't compromise. He won't do anything that is any way going to compromise the mission. And I see Paul like that. I see Paul as kind of like, you know, the, the, the T-2000 endoskeleton of the Terminator. You know, he'll never stop. He'll <laughs> never give up, you know, until he targets Sarah Connors, man, and she's terminated. You know, that's how Paul was with unbelievers, you know. He was just... I have to go in this city. There's that one part where, and it does remind me of the Terminator, where outside of Lister and Derby, Paul's stoned. And, you know, when you were stoned in those days, it wasn't just people pelted a few pebbles at you. They threw rocks at you, you and someone would come and hold one over your head and throw it so hard on your head that it would kill you. That was the, the crushing blow. And yeah. the, the scripture never says Paul died, but it's kind of obvious. And then the next thing, it says, uh, when everyone cleared away, Paul got up and tried to go back in the city, and his friends restrained him. And it's like, you know, dude, you're a Terminator. You know, they think they crushed you up or burned you or whatever, but, you know, you know, up he goes. They have to know, and he's going back into the city. So I think all of these things that, that we see, the reason we admire those things is because they're relentless, and we know that there's a relentless God who's relentless about us, and his missionaries uh, are, are as equally as relentless. Paul said, if we're out of our heads, it's for him. If we're of sound mind, it's for you. But the love of Christ compels us or drives us on. Boom. That's that's excellent. And, and what a great way to tie things up, man. I appreciate it. See, see how we brought the comic books and brought it right back to the book? That's <laughs> <laughs> what I do. <laughs> I know. It's good. You're, you're a talented man. Hey, um, we're about out of time. So, um, first, I want to I want to thank you. This has been a great conversation. I um, I look forward to the next book, and uh, maybe we can engage and talk about that when it comes out. Or if you just want to talk comic books some more, we can find some time for that. You know, no one ever wants to talk about that stuff, so I'm I'm down. And if your readers, I mean, your listeners want to just check out the first chapter for free, they can go to churchzero.com and download it for free. They can watch a little movie about it. And uh, they can also get it right now on sale until August 15th for $2.51. What a bargain. So it's a, it's a real well, let me throw something on Let me throw something on top of that. And you may not already know this, but if you buy the book for $2.51 or however much you pay for the book, if you do it through Amazon because they're Audible as part of their company, for $3.99 you can get the audio book too. So you'll have both the audio book and the e-book. Joe, I didn't even know that. How cool is that? People should check that out. You got uh, you got uh, about a month left to get on the stick here, folks. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let me get let me get let you get going. I really appreciate your time. It's been great talking to you, and I wish you the best of luck. All right. Hey, thanks, Joe. It was a pleasure. God bless it. Yeah. God bless you, man. Take care. All right. Bye bye. And that that was my interview with Peyton Jones. Thank you, Peyton. We really appreciated uh, his his time to sit down with us and to chat amidst all the other things that are going on. And boy, it's just evident the passion he's got for the mission he's got. He's a, a serial church planner. I mean, this is a guy who wants to get out and spread that word. And 
man, you just want to follow that guy. Yeah, very inspirational and motivational. Um, you know, one of the lines um, where he's describing his book says, the church is losing ground fast and losing the generation under age 30 and drawing few non-believers towards Christ. And again, as a pastor, I understand the, the problem and how we need to, to get out there and do something about it. We have this great message. What are we going to do with it? Instead of just talking about it, you know, we need to be less about just a, a place where we come to and more about, you know, sharing our faith organically wherever we go. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's uh, no, no, no punches held on him. And uh, that's really refreshing in, a, in a, an environment where um, people are very careful. He's, he's on the border of being dangerous. And I think that's, that's a lot of fun. And, yeah. And it does, it does mean a lot when you actually use the word radical in one of your titles at the beginning or at the, the top of their website. It says, we need to become a radical, dangerous people. Those are, are huge verbs. So, you know, if you're using that word, it can be used in a negative or positive connotation. I'm, and this is obviously positive, but, you know, they, you have to mean what you say if you're going to use words like that. Absolutely. Hey, I just said absolutely. <laughs> we're back to that again. Oh, we're back to that again. Well, let me just, speaking of that word, I want you, this would be a drinking game if that was the kind of podcast we are. But go back <laughs> and you will find that Peyton loves that word too. Ah, okay. So anyway. <laughs> well, it was a great interview, Joe. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you to Peyton Jones for uh, for participating, even in a, a crazy busy schedule. Well, that having been said, let's share some social media outlets and uh, let you guys get back to your day. Yeah. So you can connect with us on Twitter at Frequency FM, just all one word, at Frequency FM. Or on Facebook, it's the same word. Just type it in. Uh, usually, just typing frequency will work as well. And we have the same logo everywhere. So if you look for a black logo with a white um, frequency logo through it, that's who we are. And we love hearing from you on social media. Joe and I typically engage often. So uh, f- send us any feedback or questions, concerns, comments, anything you want to. We'd love to hear from you. And, of course, our website is www.frequency.fm. All right, that's it for this episode, folks. We'll catch you in a couple of weeks when we're back with our next interview. Until then, take care. Frequency Podcast.